This is episode number two of the Individual One Podcast. I am John Ziegler, your host for this program, which originates from Los Angeles, California, about twice a week, which seeks to truthfully chronicle the always controversial but very rarely boring presidency of Donald J. Trump and to do so from a conservative perspective. This is something virtually no one else can or will do because in America, the liberal mainstream media has completely lost their minds about Trump and cannot be objective. While the conservative, I call them the state-run media, have been so compromised and co-opted in their bid to appeal to Trump's cult of core supporters that they can't be trusted either. So somebody's got to do it. We're doing that here at the Individual One Podcast. In episode number one, we did a very brief summary of who I am, why I'm doing this show, what this program is all about, why it's called the Individual One Podcast. Fans of Michael Cohen will understand that reference. And how it is that Trump got to this point. I describe what we're now heading into as season number five of a reality TV show. Season number one was him getting the Republican presidential nomination. Season number two was him upsetting Hillary Clinton in the general election of 2016, which is still much talked about for many, many good reasons. Season number three was his first year. Season number four was his second year. Now heading into season number five, the third year of the Trump presidency, which I described as basically an epic battle for the future of American politics and really America's role in the world. Because in many ways, Donald Trump has changed everything. Everything for maybe the good, maybe the bad. In fact, my daughter has often asked the very question that many people have asked across the world. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? And that really is, is the essence of what this podcast is. Now, I have, over the first uh, two years of his presidency, leaned much more towards the bad guy than the good guy. But I do not believe that he is evil. I think he is mostly incompetent. But sometimes those two things can be very similar. <laughs> the results can be the same. I am a pessimist by nature, but in my general view of Donald Trump is that whatever good he's going to do for conservatism or for America or maybe even the world in some ways in the short run, it is very likely to be overwhelmed in the long run by the negative. I have related this to very much like having a uh, a drug party where, you know, in the short run, although I'm not a drug user, people who drug, use drugs, they have a good time in the short run. Sometimes even some good things can happen, but very rarely does it work out well in the long run. And that really, to me, is pretty much what the Trump presidency, both for America and the world, is really all about. Maybe, just maybe, we can survive it all. Maybe somehow this will be short-lived and we can move on to the way things used to be into some sense of normalcy. Now, for that to happen, a lot of people have understandably, since the beginning of the Trump presidency, they have been hoping against hope that this will be as short-lived as possible, meaning less than the four years to which he was elected. I have been very skeptical that that is remotely realistic, but I've also understood why it is that so many people have this desire. To me, the best analogy to explain this is it's kind of like in November of 2016 after the election, 
so many Americans and so many people around the world were were horrified by the idea that this obvious con man could be the leader of the free world. It was kind of like waking up with a massive uh, cold sore on your face. And uh, you're wondering, okay, when is this thing going to go away? Uh, it's ugly. It's painful. It's incredibly annoying. It's embarrassing. And you, you, the, part of the way you get through it is you think, keep thinking, okay, any day now, any day now, this thing is going to go away. And you, that's how you survive. That's how you, you deal with this mentally. You think, okay, I, I, I'm just going to get through today. Tomorrow is going to be the day when this finally goes away. And that, I think, is partially why there has been an obsession in some corners with the investigation into the 2016 election, as if this can suddenly be erased, as if any day now we're all just going to be rid of this nightmare. We're going to wake up and it's all going to be okay. (laughs) Well, folks, um, if that's a good psychological crutch for you, I'm not going to take it away. But the reality is that's not likely. And what I want to do in episode number two today is I want to discuss where things are as season five of this reality TV show begins. Now, in a rational world, at the beginning of season five, Trump should be in huge trouble. We have learned so many things about what happened in 2016, about the nature of his presidency. There have been so many things that have occurred that would have destroyed any other president uh, numerous times over that seem to have very little impact on Donald Trump. And I've said this many times, that it's mostly because Trump has something that no other American president has ever had, at least not in the modern era, and that is a cult. I refer to them as Cult 45, since he is the 45th president of the, Amer- of the United States. And obviously, for those people who remember, there was a very famous beer commercial for Cult 45. In this case, they believe him every time. I love the poorly educated. Yeah, that's, that's his cult. And because the cult will not believe him... Well, they believe him because, you know, he tells them to believe them. Believe me. But uh, they will not leave him because they will not leave him. And the polls continue to indicate that that's the case no matter what. We are stuck because without the cult leaving Donald Trump, there is no chance, regardless of what Robert Mueller finds in his Russia investigation or what any other agency investigating Trump, his inaugural committee, or whatever it is, the Michael Cohen situation, in order for Donald Trump to ever be removed from office prematurely, there would have to be a huge disintegration of his support among that cult. And you would think that there would be signs of that. You would think that with, for instance, recently the American stock market uh, crashing, but now has returned to almost where it was before that with the recent shutdown of the U.S. government and apparently Trump losing the battle to build his vaunted wall, although that's going to be revisited very, very shortly. Uh, You would think that his defense secretary resigning in uh, objection to the proposed pullout from Syria, uh, so many other things that haven't even gotten that much publicity here in the United States. Like, I would be horrified to know 
How many Americans are even aware that Trump's charity was forced to disintegrate because of out-and-out corruption? His own charity, the Trump Foundation. This after he lambasted the Clinton Foundation, to which he, by the way, donated uh, numerous times during the 2016 campaign. But there are so many stories involving Donald Trump that this one didn't even register. I I would bet you that 90 to 95% of the American populace has no idea that the Trump Foundation story even happened. Now, that would have been a massive scandal for any other American president that we'd still be talking about today. But with Trump, the short, incredibly short attention span and the very short uh, news cycle that goes with it works to his advantage because nothing sticks. I love the poorly educated. And everyone just believes what they want to believe and everyone moves on and the media plays right into it, plays right into his hands because they need content. They need new red meat. And what I don't think the media fully understands, and I'm sure we'll do shows on the Individual One podcast just specifically on the the media's relationship with Trump and the symbiotic relationship they have where they, they seem to hate each other, but they actually need each other quite desperately. And I think Trump is right when he says that they play into his hands and may even help him get reelected, but I'm not sure that the news media fully understands that in a fragmented era of media, and we we are incredibly fragmented in the United States of America. We used to live, when I was younger, I'm 51 years old now, in the 70s and 80s, we lived in an era where there were basically four or five TV channels, everyone read a newspaper, the news cycle was a week long. All that has changed now. It's no longer what gets reported that matters. It's what gets repeated that has impact. Something has to be repeated and repeated and repeated constantly for it to make any sort of inroads into the American public's consciousness, especially when you can now choose your own media outlet to fit what it is you want to believe to begin with. And that's where we go back to the cult. The cult has its own media outlets, talk radio, Fox News Channel, even some podcasts that cater to them. People are being told what they want to believe. And because there's so much reporting 24-7, news outlets have an, a plausible deniability inherent in everything they do. Like Fox News Channel, I will bet at some point for 15 seconds reported that the Trump Foundation was dissolved in scandal. But how many people even noticed? No, Nobody. And they just move on, but they can always say, well, we reported it. And now we have overnight television ratings that can tell TV networks and stations to the minute which stories pop, which ones don't. And if there's no pop with their audience, why would there be? There's never going to be a pop with a negative Trump story on Fox News Channel. They just move on. Oh, no one cares. Let's move on. Move on, move on, move on. And the, the, news, the news cycle is now about 15 minutes long. And that's not an exaggeration. It's almost literally true. What used to be a week is now less than an hour. And if Trump wants to make it even less than that, he can tweet something crazy at any moment. And it's not just the Trump Foundation thing I'm talking about. When we go to the Russia investigation specifically, two things have happened very recently that, to me, 
are the biggest bombshells we've learned. And maybe we're just so desensitized, or maybe, and I think this is one of the things that people are missing about Mueller, is that I think Mueller is too late, no matter what he has. I I don't personally believe he's going to have some sort of uh, Manchurian candidate bombshell that Trump is a Russian spy or something crazy like that. Even if he did, which I don't think he will, I can't imagine he'd be able to prove it. But even if he did that, I still think there's an argument he's too late. You know, there's an old saying that possession is nine-tenths of the law, right? That's not literally true, but figuratively, that, that's a cliche that has some truth to it. Well, when it comes to the presidency, possession is 99% of the law. That's why we've never had a president removed from office. It's virtually impossible. Look what happened at his recent State of the Union address. That State of the Union address, other than the Democratic women wearing white, which was a weird stunt, but worked for what they wanted. Other than that, it was a perfectly normal State of the Union. And America watched, millions of Americans watched President Trump standing in the House of Representatives with the American flag behind him being cheered constantly as if he's a normal president. I resist the temptation to consider him to be a normal president of the United States, but that's the impression that has been given. That is an incredibly powerful position to be in, the presidency. He has so many weapons at his disposal, and now so many people, three years in almost, into the third year, who are completely invested in his presidency. They don't want to admit they're wrong. They don't want to go through the divorce. And that's another analogy, I think, that works here. You you know, when you're dating somebody, you don't let them get away with hardly anything, usually. But once you're married for a couple of years and you have a few kids, you're stuck. So that's basically the way that the Republican Party is with Donald Trump. You're totally invested. You're stuck. You've been married to him now. You're you you're future, your legacy, is completely tied to him. There's no separating it anymore. So you either ride this horse or you die with this horse, and there's no abandoning at this point. And that, to me, is, I think, a very significant set of circumstances here. But let's go specifically to what we've learned. We've learned that Donald Trump, during the entire 2016 campaign, and this is according to his own attorney, Rudy Giuliani, plus the the, uh, perjury that uh, Michael Cohen has acknowledged and pleaded guilty to in front of Congress, we have learned, if you combine those two things, that the, the Trump forces have effectively admitted, and it's possible that Donald Trump even told Robert Mueller this in his written answers because he never gave him an interview, which he promised he would, because he's afraid of that. But the, the reality is that in there's a very good chance that in his written answers, Donald Trump told Robert Mueller that, yeah, I was engaged in a possible Trump Tower Moscow project up until the time I was elected president of the United States. Now, that is... Unreal. It's just flat out ridiculous. It is that to me, and I've kept, I've continued to wait throughout the entire Russian investigation for, okay, what is the source of all the lying? What's the bombshell that everyone's hiding? 
Now, I don't know for sure that Trump Moscow is it, but it certainly fits the bill for what could be it. I mean, because that's something you would lie about. That is something which, by the way, Trump did lie about constantly. So it wasn't just that this was happening during the entire campaign. He was lying about it during the entire campaign. And I believe there's going to be evidence, although I doubt it'll be proven, because otherwise Robert Mueller would not have tapped down that BuzzFeed story that uh, recently caused so much controversy, where uh, they said that there was proof that Trump had suborned Cohen's perjury to Congress when he was testifying about this issue. But the reality is that he, he is lying about this throughout the campaign. He is trying to do business with the Russian government, which may have included a bribe to Vladimir Putin by giving him the penthouse of this proposal. He, there's a there's signed letter of intent from Donald Trump. BuzzFeed has subsequently released all sorts of documents showing just how deeply this proposal went and how badly the Trump organization wanted it. And now that puts everything into a completely different context about the 2016 election. It puts into a different context the Republican platform at the convention being altered in a way that could be seen as pleasing to Russia. Not to mention all of the potential contacts between Trump and Russia. Now, I have made the analogy, which I, I, I'm standing by until I am proven otherwise. There's, there, there's proof that comes forward that makes me change my mind, which I'm certainly open to doing, that there was probably not, quote-unquote, full-on collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign, largely because the Trump campaign wasn't competent enough to pull that off. And also, I'm not sure the Russian government thought that Trump was worth the risk. Here was a guy who was going to lose. Why would they endure the wrath of President Hillary Clinton to engage with the, the Trump people that I don't think they had a whole lot of respect for? I, I, you know, put it in relationship terms, I'm not sure Trump was hot enough for Russia. And I think Russia might have been terrified of getting a sexually transmitted disease from the, from the Trump campaign. Again, I'm open on that. I'd like to hear more. I want to hear what Mueller has to say when it's all said and done. But that Trump-Moscow project in a rational world should be an earthquake. And yet, it has caused basically no impact. There's no indication that Trump's approval ratings have changed. It's gotten relatively little coverage throughout the American media. In fact, at the recent Super Bowl, Donald Trump gave an interview to CBS before the game. And the CBS reporter, who actually got lauded for her questions to Trump, asked a few about the Russia investigation, didn't even bring this up. How, how, do you, how do you interview the president of the United States? And it's just been revealed that by his own lawyer that, that he was engaged in this project, and there's documentation to back it up, to do a business deal with the Russian government throughout the entire 2016 election while they were helping his campaign, either because there was collusion to do it or they did it on their own or, or what have you. And you don't even ask about that. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's, it's just flat-out ridiculous. That's, that's where we are. And that gets me to the second thing that's happened recently that has not 
caused nearly the impact that it should have, which is the indictment of Donald Trump's longtime political advisor, Roger Stone. Roger, and people need to understand who Roger Stone is. Roger Stone, although he's now being distanced, <laughs> Trump is distancing himself from Stone, has not only been his longest-serving political advisor. When Trump's campaign first began, Stone was effectively the campaign manager. And Stone just got arrested by the FBI and indicted on numerous counts related <clears throat> to potential collusion with WikiLeaks. Now, see, because of the incredibly short attention span of the American public and, frankly, the fact that most of Trump's biggest fans aren't the brightest bulbs in the chandelier. I love the poorly educated. They think that Stone working with WikiLeaks doesn't mean anything. They're able to rationalize it because they want to, that this is irrelevant. Ah, Stone isn't really working for the campaign, and WikiLeaks isn't really Russia. But that's not true. Stone is absolutely part of the campaign. He may not have an official capacity at that point, but he has all the avenues, and and the indictment says that Steve Bannon who was absolutely at the heart of the Trump campaign at the time, directed Stone to be involved with WikiLeaks and getting these emails that had been hacked from the Democratic National Committee out into the public. And that was key. That was key because it changed the media narrative, especially the last month of the campaign, where, frankly, the biggest story should have been, one, the Access Hollywood video uh, video that came out where Trump was caught bragging about grabbing the uh, female genitalia of women without permission, and the fact that our intelligence community had come to the conclusion that Russia was trying to help Trump win. That story got completely obliterated by, ironically enough, WikiLeaks, which, if people understood the way this worked, actually was proof of Russia's trying to help Trump win because WikiLeaks is effectively a a Russian operation. And so unless you accept those two things, which Trump fans are never going to do because they don't need to, they, they can just rationalize it. Unless you accept that Stone is part of the Trump campaign and that WikiLeaks is part of Russia, that doesn't mean much to you. Well, those aren't rational presumptions. That is that is ignoring reality. And of course, we don't have convictions yet, but it certainly seems as if Mueller has the goods on this, and his track record is pretty freaking good. <laughs> because he's already gotten Paul Manafort, with lots of ties to Russian oligarchs, to plead guilty to numerous serious crimes. He's gotten Michael Flynn to plead guilty about lying about contacts with Russia. So he's not lost in any big way yet. And I I trust that he is trying to do his best and is a credible and principled prosecutor here. So those two stories, in combination with one another, should have changed the landscape. If this was going to end, if this was going to end in any sort of removal from office, if, if we were heading in season five of this reality TV show for certain political death for Donald Trump, 
these stories would have sh- at least shaken the earth. But they have not. They have decidedly not. Now, part of this, and I think this is another mistake by the news media, part of it is the news media and the Democratic Party say, well, let's wait for Mueller. Let's, let's wait. Then we're going to keep our powder dry, and then we're going to go all guns a-blazing. Okay, first of all, that presumes that Mueller's report is going to be as damaging as those critics of Trump either hope for or expect. I'm not sure it will be. I, I think we pretty much know the biggest parts of what Mueller's going to conclude. I think there's going to be obstruction of justice. I think there, Trump may have committed perjury in his, his answers to Mueller, but it may not be provable. But specifically with regard to his knowledge of the Trump Tower meeting in June of 2016 involving his, his son, his son-in-law, and his campaign uh, chairman. It's absurd, the idea that Trump didn't know that that meeting took place. So there, there could be something along those lines. We could see suborning of perjury with regard to Cohen. I personally think one of the things that's most obvious that Trump did that no one ever talks about is he tampered with the Paul Manafort jury. The Paul Manafort jury, which was, was not sequestered, Trump was tweeting, <laughs> tweeting support for Paul Manafort <laughs> during the deliberations of that trial where he eventually got convicted of most but not all of the charges against him. That's jury tampering. (laughs) It's a deadlock singe case, especially when you're president of the United States. It's amazing to me that Manafort got convicted because all you needed was two Trump cult members to, to hear about what Trump had said and get the bat signal to hold out for acquittal. So there's a whole slew of things that, that Trump is potentially vulnerable on. And will it have, you know, if that if any of that actually comes to fruition, will it have an impact? I certainly hope so. But but it needs to have a earthquake, a, 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 like an 8.0 earthquake level magnitude. And that's not the way our, our media environment is set up anymore. Because no matter how large the story is, it never lasts for more than two days. That's as long as it can go now. That's, that's a huge story now if it lasts two days. And there's always going to be another side. There's, I mean, I believe that Mueller's balls have already basically been cut off among the cult by two years of lying about deep state and FBI conspiracies and witch hunts and 13 angry Democrats. I mean, his call will believe anything. You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? But that's where we are. I have this bet, and this actually takes, <laughs> this bet takes a lot more of my time than it will ever be worth if I ever win the bet. But I talk about the bet because it's really a fascinating indicator of where we are in, in a whole lot of elements of this, this Trump saga. There's a person I've been friends with for many years who works for a very, very pro-Trump media outlet. This is a media outlet that I used to have some respect for, no longer since they became state-run. But this person has, has kept their job mainly because they need the paycheck. But they despise Donald Trump. This is a very staunch conservative 
and uh, but they do their job despite the fact that they they despise Trump. And this person bet me, not a huge bet, but something you know I'd like to win. That by the end of this year, by end of 2019, Donald Trump will be removed from office. So this is kind of an interesting setup for what I refer to as season number five of this reality TV show. So, that, you know, 2019 is season five. Is it going to result in Trump being removed from office either by resigning, which I've never thought was remotely possible, uh, or somehow uh, him being removed via an impeachment uh, process by the United States Senate, which is very, very difficult to pull off, especially when Republicans control the Senate. So they have bet me that this will happen by the end of 2019. We made this bet, by the way, about, uh, I don't know, five or six months ago. And so we text about this bet constantly. And this person continues to be exceedingly confident that there's going to be evidence of crimes that is going to come to light and that the good people of America will see this, they will see the light, and that everything is going to change. And I keep uh, telling this person, you're delusional, that we don't live in that world anymore. You know, Richard Nixon was forced to resign in 1974, uh, in a very, very different set of circumstances from a media standpoint. There was no Fox News Channel. There was no cult, at least not in the way that we have a cult today with Donald Trump. Our our attention spans were far greater. I mean, my gosh, when the P- impeachment proceedings began against Richard Nixon, before they even got to the full House, the committee hearings were on full-on network television. When there was only four channels, people had no choice but to see it right before them and at least deal with it and to consider it to be very serious. And there was no Fox News channel to come up with BS conspiracy theories to rationalize it or to ignore it. That world doesn't exist anymore. Now, if Mueller ever testifies, and since the Democrats now control the House, I would think it would be rather difficult to keep Mueller from testifying unless he has nothing to testify about, which would be certainly interesting and have a lot of people very, very embarrassed. And I have said, I've written uh, several columns at Mediate, where I, I write about it twice a week, and you can find all my columns there, that it is possible that the expectations that people have for Mueller are completely out of control. And John Carl from ABC said this about a month ago. I wrote a column about it where, hey, look, you know, there's a good chance this is going to be anticlimactic. But even if it's not, and even if he does really have, you know, some really extraordinary evidence of of real crimes by Trump and his team, and even if Mueller does testify, yeah, that's going to be a huge television event. Huge. But it won't be anything close with regard to the overall percentage of the population that, for instance, those preliminary hearings that weren't all that dramatic involving Richard Nixon and Watergate, because the dynamic has totally changed. There's no way that that you're going to get like Super Bowl ratings for a Robert Mueller testimony. And that's what you would need. You need Super Bowl ratings and blockbuster evidence to be able to go over the heads of the state-run conservative media and reach at least some of the cult. Now, you're never going to get the bulk of the cult. But those are a lot of ifs there. And I don't see any of it happening. 
And so I, I constantly text this person whenever they're getting particularly delusional. I, I text them a, uh, an image of Linus in the pumpkin patch waiting for the great pumpkin. Because that, to me, is, is close to where we are here. Where people who are still wanting to believe so badly that cold sore is going to be removed immediately that they will they they rationalize everything to fit into that reality and it's understandable i'm not diminishing people for doing that there's been part of me that had hoped for that but i'm 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 past that now i i'm i'm hunkering in for the long haul <laughs> see I, I look at this in a in a in a different way I, i've always said that if i was ever uh, taking uh, uh i was ever kidnapped or like a prisoner of war or something. And I was told how long I'll be tortured for. Like, you know, Ziggler, you're going to be here for uh, two years and three months. And we're going to beat the crap out of you. But after two years and three months, we're going to let you go. And, uh, you know, and, and there's somehow I knew that that was a, a real deal. I could probably take almost anything. I, I, could, I could deal with that. Because that's the way my mind works. However... If I didn't know when it was going to end and I was being tortured, I might not be able to make it through three days because that would drive me crazy, not having any idea when this is going to end. So in my mind, I'm already accepting we're going to go through season five into season six because the ratings are good for the for the television reality show. Everyone wants it to continue. There's no mechanism for ending it. And Trump's fan base is far too big for anyone to risk removing him from the TV show. That's not going to happen. So that means season six, which will be his reelection fight, is really where this is all going to be fought. That's really, if you want to get rid of Trump, that's where you got to focus. Now, to be clear, I still believe that Trump should, unless Mueller comes up with an extraordinarily... Uh, exonerating report, I still believe that Trump should and will be impeached. But to be clear, those who don't understand the impeachment process, that's totally different than removal. Bill Clinton was impeached and not removed. I thought he should have been removed then. Ironically enough, many of the people who thought he should have been removed then are probably going to be those fighting hardest for Donald Trump now, despite the fact that the allegations against him will be far more dramatic and serious than those that got Bill Clinton impeached for perjury and obstruction of justice and basically what was an investigation of his sex life. This is far, far more significant, and the hypocrisy on the Republican side is likely to be stupefying. But I, I am still a big proponent that at least from some, for symbolic purposes, for the purposes of maintaining the integrity of the impeachment process for the future— that if anything close to what we think we know is in fact verified by Robert Mueller or by other uh, investigative agencies, that Donald Trump should in fact be impeached. Frankly, I think you could make an argument for impeachment right now based upon his his day-to-day violation of the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution because he is clearly financially benefiting from his relationships with foreign governments. I mean, that's obvious. That alone uh, should be an impeachable offense, and, and if if, if Donald Trump was a Democrat, Republicans would be screaming about that on a nearly daily basis. But we don't live in that world anymore. So I, I still believe that there's a good chance that we'll see impeachment this year in season five. 
But we're not going to see removal unless there is a massive sea change, unless there is a black swan event beyond our current comprehension. Now, is that possible? Sure. That is possible. I think it is highly, highly unlikely. And I think from a psychological standpoint, it is important for people using the torture analogy or metaphor that psychologically it may be better for you to understand this isn't going to end anytime soon. That cold sore ain't going away. Now, you know, as I often joke with the person I made the bet when they, they, they text me with some particularly damaging information, say, you know what? I think you're right. I think there's a very good chance that Trump is out of here by January of uh, 2025. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't see, I don't think there's much chance that Trump is going to be in office much past January of 2025 which, of course, is when he would be termed out and cannot, by law, uh, continue to be president of the United States. His reelection, of course, is a completely different matter. And we'll talk about that in future episodes of the Individual One podcast. My very, very, very short version of, of, his, of his potential reelection, because we've had a lot of Democratic candidates announce in, in recent weeks, is that Trump's perceived vulnerability, which is real. It's real. He is exceedingly vulnerable to being defeated in 2020, especially if Joe Biden is the candidate. But his perceived his perceived uh, vulnerability is actually, I think, working potentially in his favor because the perception of his vulnerability may allow the Democratic Party to overplay their hand and nominate a complete nut job that is not uh, viable to 50% of the American public, thus giving Trump a chance. And there are several candidates who have already announced that fit into that category. Now, we're a long way from, from knowing that, but that's my fear, that the Democrats, you can always count on Democrats to overplay their hand. That's the number one thing they do on on, on a very regular basis. And they may look at their hand with regard to Trump and think that they have a hand that cannot lose. And they may overplay it. And they may end up handing Trump a candidate that he can destroy and potentially use his 46% or whatever it might be, whatever his top number may be of the population, in order to survive. Of course, there's the other possibility that a third-party candidate may help him. There's been a lot of talk about that already, since the, the former head of Starbucks has talked about uh, running a third-party campaign. And there's some anecdotal and polling evidence to indicate that that may help Trump. Anything that, that using the, 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 the poker analogy again, with regard to the Democrats' hand, anything that reshuffles the deck at this point is good for Donald Trump. It's inherently good. It may not mean he wins, but when you've got a sure losing hand, you want the deck to be reshuffled. And a major third-party candidate may do exactly that. But obviously we have a long, long way to go there. But that's that's what I wanted to address here in episode number two of the, the Individual One podcast, kind of to set the scene for where we're heading here in season number five of this bizarre reality TV show. And uh, so I hope you've had a chance to check out episode number one, where we talk about how it is that we got here. Episode number two, which is kind of a synopsis of where we are and what the prospects are for going forward in this season number five. 
And I hope that you also, uh, as you check out episode number one and number two and the, the, the episodes still to come of the, of the individual and podcast, I hope that you'll share this uh, via social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. If you tag me, for instance, uh, in sharing this on Twitter, I'll be happy to retweet it. Uh, my particular Twitter handle is Zygmunt Freud. That's Z-I-G-M-A-N-F-R-E-U-D. Zygmunt Freud's a very bad Twitter handle because it's an old college nickname. I knew, when I first joined Twitter, I never thought Twitter was going to be nearly as big a deal as it currently is. I didn't put a lot of thought into it. But we have a much better Twitter handle for this particular show. If you can look up just Individual One Podcast, but we are at Individual, the number one pod. Individual One Pod is our Twitter handle. You can email me with any questions you'd like to have answered on future episodes of the Individual One Podcast. My email address is johnz at mediaite.com. That's johnz at mediaite.com. We will have an Individual One Podcast email set up shortly, and we'll share that with you when we have it. But for now, that's episode number two. My name is John Ziegler. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is the Individual One Podcast via the Global Story Network.